How's it going, guys? So, Pure Podcast here with Samira, round two. Hello. We're going to do some specific questions. And uh, so we're going to go through around about five questions. We're going to try and keep it to five questions. Samira likes to talk, so (laughs) that's all good. Um, And it's all good information as well. Uh, If you want to just quickly just give a a brief, but keep it to like, say, 60 seconds, and then I'll ask you the first question. We'll go straight into it. Perfect. So about, about, yeah, introduce yourself for a second because last time obviously we went through it all as well. Okay, so. so thank you for having me, Colin. No uh, I'm an occupational therapist. Uh, I work at King's College Hospital. My role varies very much. I work with any individuals with any kind of injury or long-term condition or illness. And my role is to help them to be as functional as possible and to move and to be successful and happy and healthy in life. So the focus is very much on movement, function and uh, quality of life. Perfect. That was, that was great, Brie. That was nice good. You're, you're around like you're ticking. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. All right, so question number one, right? Okay. Um, so we came up with, so the question would be chronic pain and inflammation, obviously specific specifics to this question would be um you know what kind of pain do you uh, clients do you come across that have these issues so many different types so it's very very varied so generally speaking i do work in the neuroorthopedic department so they tend to have some kind of a neuroorthopedic flavor yeah. or both typically both i think neuro pretty much covers everything so i see a lot of people with uh chronic shoulder pain low back pain um, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel syndrome. So it's a combination of musculoskeletal pain and uh, nerve pain. And it could be, it can have any kind of label, but generally speaking, we do treat long-term chronic pain in very similar patterns. Okay. So it doesn't matter where in the body, really. Question, I just on the basis of ten- yeah. tennis elbow, because there was always talking to me the other day about tennis elbow. Where specifically would you classify so tennis the elbow? the lateral epicondylitis, to be very specific, which sort of is just the top Is that for the muscle when you do this? Yeah. Where it's like in here? Yeah. Do they call it like extensors or yep. something? Yep. So these are your extensor forearm extensors. Mm-hmm. And let me just put my uh, pint down. Pint down, put ladder down. And these are your forearm flexor muscles. Right. So you've got golfer's elbow, which is more on the inside, mm-hmm. medial epicondyle, and you've got tennis elbow, which is the mm-hmm. lateral epicondyle. And what that means is you've got inflammation in those areas. Um, so again, you can treat it locally in that area, which is very helpful. But more of a long, more of a global approach is also to look into that person's level of chronic systemic inflammation, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about yeah. in yeah. further depth a bit later. Yeah. Um, so the two together are very important, and it's typically an overuse injury where you just use those muscles all the time, and it mm-hmm. happens a lot for people um, who have desk-based jobs and don't maybe have the right ergonomic setup or perhaps they do but they're not following the ergonomic principles so well and for people that are engaged in sports that require a lot of uh, the similar uh, have uh, unilateral movements like badminton or tennis golf and so forth so that's from that injuries from doing that too, too much basically can be yeah Question, funny, quite a funny thing is, and you tell me what you think. So I have a bit of, I had an issue with this part of my bicep. Okay. Uh, and this is my thought process, right? I use my right arm to use my phone all the time. 
and I was getting pain there and I was like, I don't have, I know it's not inflammation, I know it's not an injury because it's like a constant soreness. It was in there, it's not anymore because I was like, and I was like, right, fuck it. So what I'm gonna do <laughs> is I'm gonna put in, I'm gonna put the phone on the on the table yeah. and I'm gonna use it like this right. and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use my phone as much. I'm gonna keep it in my left hand, yes. etc. And I swear to God, it's, it's much gone. Better. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's pretty much yeah. the basic principle of a lot of these, uh, uh, inflammatory based conditions it's an overuse and yeah. if you continue to put a lot of stress and strain on the same tendons or the same muscles they become unhappy mm. and aggravated so yeah uh, basic approach but stop can, doing that yeah but then it can be where you have inflammation due to not an overuse it could be some what would be the other reason for that so that's when we go into more of the chronic inflammation type issues. So we get a set of people that have a set of symptoms. Um, and initially it comes across as though they have, they have isolated issues. So some, for example, a nice case example, I had a gentleman, 42 years old, came in and he had a recurring uh, pain in his forearm, which was diagnosed as tennis elbow. Um, and he had a recurring pain in his ankle, which was again uh, considered as uh, tendonitis of the Achilles tendonitis. Um, so we worked with him initially over a few months and it transpired that he had some gut issues um, and his blood work wasn't great. And so you could connect the dots and recognize this much more of an underlying issue here. Mm. So the symptoms are random pain, uh, pain experienced in different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. But then as you dig deeper, actually what's going on is something much more serious or mm -hmm. hopefully not too sinister and treatable, but it's hard to recognize. Yeah. And it all comes down to the state of chronic systemic inflammation. Okay. Um, it's tough but it's important to dig so it that you find fixed. it. Again, I don't like to use the term fixed because it's always a journey and it's not something, it's not like a switch that you can switch on and off all the time. Mm. Um, and again, it depends on how acute or chronic a situation is. And typically with chronic inflammation is it brews, it takes time and it happen, occurs over time. So if you have to think about the length of time that this has been going on for, the and then that's typically the length of time it takes to address the issue. So it's not a case of fixing, but again, very much like fitness, it's a journey. It's not a case where I just want to get rid of this stubborn fat and it be gone. You have to keep chipping away and keep working on it and improving it. And some, some uh, types of conditions can be fully resolved and others will, be partially like three quarters resolved but will still sort of be there low lying somewhere and if you don't take care of yourself or at periods of high levels of stress it can be flared up or exacerbated further this i i have a nutrition coach which i think i mentioned to you last time i don't have them anymore but i did have them and um we're talking about gut biome obviously which is probably a big thing for you um and and, and basically when i was going through the stuff it was just like trying to fix the gut biome over a period of time yeah um and I, what i'd done with taking a lot of obviously the dairy and the, and the gluten out um and it really helped with like my shoulder and my yeah, back and absolutely. everything um but then how do you would you say to implement so, so first and another example sorry would be um i have a couple clients who actually have a lot of clients in the gym who suffer from shoulder issues and this kind of mm -hmm. stuff um would you say, I'd maybe not ask for a specific percentage, but in a, in, in a kind of guesstimate how 
many people probably have a gut issue rather than the actual overuse issue? It's really hard to say. I couldn't give you a percentage. And I think that you do need to look at specifics because some people, I do, and it's such a mix. I have some, some clients that come in to the clinic and they're super healthy, you know, and they really take care of what they eat and how much they exercise and they'll still have, some, you know, random spurts of pain. Um, so for them, it doesn't tend to be that gut issue and it is just a periodic experience of pain because of an overuse or yeah. not maybe lifting weights so that are too heavy. So not got inflammation you're saying, but they just have an injury. Yeah, um, but for the majority, I guess, of the others, but it's hard to say how many, um, there's often more underlying issues going on, or perhaps it's just the case. I think in, in this society, in this day and age, I don't think there's any single one, one single person that isn't in a state of systemic inflammation, yes. chronic inflammation, yes. because look at our nutrition. No matter how healthy you eat, you don't have a farm in your back garden. You can't grow your own vegetables. You can't stop the vegetables from being sprayed with pesticides. Yeah. Um, and you're looking. And these are things that cause inflammation. Absolutely. Right? So you're looking at all the what we call uh, fact epigenetic factors. So mm -hmm. These are all the factors, the environmental factors that impact on our genetics. So it's incredibly hard for any of these things to not impact you or be consumed by you mm -hmm. through one way or another. And then yeah. looking at our modern lifestyle, our stress levels. That is a part I, of it, I read right? somewhere, actually, I read somewhere recently that a typical, an average person's level of stress or anxiety today is the equivalent of somebody in the 19... 50s, 1960s being uh, institutionalized with a mental health condition. I so, I mean, that's crazy. It's become normalized, right? So we just communicate. All, and, but just not, not just that, our life has changed drastically. Our daily routine, um, the way that we live life is different. And now that's become a normal part, but it's biologically speaking, not normal at all. And it has created significant genetic changes within us that we can't even begin to imagine, you know, how they're going to transpire and impact on us and, and our health in the future. So there's no way of getting away from it or protecting yourself unless you go and live in, you know, the Himalayas. Yeah. Or, or become do you think a, with, like, with like maybe like meditation and stuff? Yeah, definitely helpful. So a great way of trying to you know, make good attempts to counteract or try to increase your level of resilience to that as much as possible. So hugely important, mm. absolutely. To take time and yeah. do you recommend uh, that as well? Highly recommend it. Um, so I think everybody should try meditation. It's a wonderful tool, a wonderful technique. But as with any tool or skill, it takes time to practice and learn. And mm. I think a lot of people you know, it's kind of like a buzzword now, a bit like mindfulness. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, kind of like cool. all the stuff we just see. And it. it's a shame because it's a really powerful tool, but also it takes time to practice. And there's some wonderful little spots around Dubai that you can go, and it's often free, and they'll teach you how to meditate. And it takes time, but once you sort of master that skill, mm. it's incredibly powerful. Mm. You know, physically and emotionally, psychologically, in every possible way. So. Yeah, oh, that's great. As, as I said, it is something you need to practice because I know that from first time myself. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not good at this, mm. and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm further away in the spectrum than a lot of people. My mind is just like so Always, frequent, yeah. and they like, I'll, like, I know that I'm quite. Uh, I mean, I don't like the, the 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 term anxious because I think again it's overused in a certain way. But I, I definitely know that I'm not anxious, but I'm like Active. high volume. Like, oh my god, yeah. like it's too much. The reason I've got my phone is I want to show you this guy. You probably know who he is. His name's 
this because I just listened to this yesterday. His name is Stephen Gundry. You know, he was basically talking about it yesterday. Okay. Obviously, there's quite a few bit of information. You obviously do you know Wim Hof. Yes, of course. You know Wim Hof, right? Awesome. <laughs> and then there's another woman. I don't know if you know these kind of people, um, but anyway, there's, there's there's all these people here that kind of so talk I about it. So I follow Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who's a an incredible women's health functional medicine doctor. Is this one? Is she, is she this one? No, I don't think it's no. her. Um, she's wonderful because again, um, men, there's a lot of differences neurologically speaking between men's brains and women's brains and the needs are different. And typically in studies, focus a lot on male brains. We don't mm -hmm. focus very much on female brains, which are very, very well, unique. It's more complicated. Of course. <laughs> it's a bit of complex things. Um, but more importantly, just the journey that we go through and yeah. hormonally we're very different. And so sure. naturally our needs are different and they are completely unmet. I mean, we know very little about the female brain, mm. which is ridiculous. Why, so. why do they do that? Why, why do they not do 50-50? That doesn't make any sense. You tell me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a very patriarchal sense. society. So yeah. it's always very male dominated, male, you know, featured and uh, women are always seen as second secondary citizens okay. unfortunately and I just think that's always the case I mean I mean you look at childbirth and pregnancy yeah. and everything that women can do if it were the other way around this is the feminist in me coming out mm -hmm. you know we'd, we'd be far more advanced in things yeah. like contraception or you know the whole uh, pro-choice child abortion laws mm. and what do you so think forth. of contraception the, the, the kind of, i hate the, it yeah i was going to say absolutely like, I hate it's it. terrible for you it messes people's hormones yeah up. so again i mean it's been a journey and uh, when you're younger you're sort of uh, society kind of drones it into you that it's your responsibility as a woman and you have to be on contraception and blah 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 um and then you realize it's just a scam yeah. <laughs> you know why is it not equal why is it why is it just the female responsibility it yeah. should equally be a male responsibility yeah. and it really is very destructive for well, it can be both a biochemical right? point of view of course it can no absolutely. i mean like i mean like it's, it's just even easier for a guy do you know what i mean to, to yeah, wear a bond or whatever and, like yeah but it's the responsibility and it, again it's oh, so you're talking shift about responsibility. in mindset it's just that whole oh well i can't be bothered so you do it mm -hmm. um anyway um but yeah biochemically speaking it's very destructive mm -hmm. and wherever i can I always say to people don't go on contraception yeah i haven't really i've definitely noticed that with people like girls i know like the yeah. They always say they go psycho, right? It's probably a very plain term, but like at the end of the day, they go definitely get way more like. It really messes with yeah, your crazy. hormonal cycle. So just during the menstrual cycle, depending on what type of contraceptive pill you're on, it there'll be a you know different levels of progesterone and estrogen, which means that you'll have peaks and troughs, and that massively impacts on your mood levels. Yeah. So you you are completely controlled by this. You know we are who we are biochemically mm. speaking. Um, so no matter how much you try to emotionally or psychologically reason with yourself, you can't control that. Yeah. And then you get labelled as this crazy person, which yeah. is unfair. So. They're definitely unfair. Like, I, and I do think, like, obviously, with, with me speaking, I just think that when you're putting chemicals like that into the body, it's going to affect you. And obviously, and it doesn't matter on the pill for a woman, or I mean, or taking like just like a headache tablet because yeah. you feel like a sore head. It's like 
you don't just pop them like that, like smarties, you know what I mean? It's like, take, consider what you're actually doing because Not just so because it's in the pharmacy, it doesn't mean it's like any worse than taking a, like a, an illegal drug. Yeah. And we don't really any know. better, sorry. What studies have been done on the long-term health of women on the contraceptive pill? Mm. Do we even know? I don't know. I'm in health profession. I'm sure there are, but I mean, I don't know very many, and I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what they... And again, there's just this sort of bias in the scientific world when it comes to the female brain and really understanding what we go through. Another example is giving birth and you know and carrying uh, children. I can tell you from first-hand experience with both of my children after I gave birth, I had a huge cognitive decline immediately after I gave birth, both times, and you, they call it the mummy brain, you forget things and mm. you know, you can't quite, you've got this brain fog. It's a real serious issue and we make fun of it and we laugh at it, and we kind of just accept it, but actually it can be very damaging to your cognitive health on a long-term basis. Mm. Um, there was one uh, incredible uh, Obsgyny doctor that did do some work and some studies into the female brain postpartum. And he said that um, when you give birth, you lose a lot of um, fat um, and you have it massively impacts on the deterioration of your brain cells, which is sort of what leads to that cognitive decline. Um, but nothing's been done about it. We don't really know if we regain that at some point or how we can regain that. Um, we kind of just accept it in society and, and that's not right. No, <laughs> really that's really inter- that. interesting. I mean, it's like when guys get to a certain age, they take testosterone replacement. So for them, there's a replacement, right? You can yeah. you can easily change their testosterone. So it should be equally on. I'm sorry, I, I don't think it's equal. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's done on purpose, but definitely... Maybe they've tried to look at it, but at the same time, should definitely look into it more. Do you know what I mean? So then it works both ways, as opposed to just like guys are, oh yeah, I'm just going to take some test testosterone. And it makes a huge difference for men like taking testosterone. Yeah. Like if, as they get older, like they can maintain such massive amounts of muscle mass. Yeah. Like it helps with like, just like in general burning fat, how they feel, um, you know, um, their sexual, like their libido, everything, rather than them being in a way that, that it's just like, okay, I'm just going to deal with getting older. Yeah. We can definitely look at it both ways. And I think testosterone, to put it, you tell me, is a kind of exact opposite of it's like the male version, isn't it? Yeah. So it's important to always feel like yourself and that you can function and you're a, a six, you can be as successful as you can be because you are fully capable and have full mm. potential. But for example, with women after giving birth, it takes a long time to feel like yourself again. Sure. And you know, again, life has changed. Um, historically and traditionally speaking, women would stay at home, but now that's not the case and women go back to the workplace. and. We're not well supported. I mean, over here we have 45 days maternity leave, which There's I can barely even walk after 45 yeah, days, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. let alone actually get up, get dressed, spend a whole day in an office type or a clinical so environment. It's nothing. In the UK, how long is it? What, for the NHS? One year. Yeah, One a year. Right? year. That's yeah. good, right? I, I That's how it should that. be, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't, not only are you taking care of another tiny little human being, but you have to heal yourself yeah. and you can't be out working mm-hmm. if you're not in good health or yeah. good shape and you can't take care of your family. So, you know, and, and we all have mothers, sisters, wives. Mm-hmm. So even if you're a male, you are impacted by this. Mm-hmm. So it's in everybody's best interest. Definitely.
Um, we have digressed again. I mean, <laughs> I I mean, so. What was the question? Inflammation. But like that was, I like it because it's all specific. And yeah. I think last thing we were when we were talking and stuff, we went down different spirals. But it's definitely you know helpful to for people to like if they get into that and l- l- listen to the whole process of like there's just so many different like kind of branches to go on when you're talking about like inflammation or like pain or like all these kind yeah. of chronic problems. Like it's not just like one thing. No. So. Um, the next question we have is your long-term health, you know, in terms of, of those. So, so um, I work with a lot of p- different types of people. I work with people with acute injuries and conditions, but my skill set and my passion is really working with people with long-term conditions. Um, conditions, sorry, conditions meaning injuries or conditions meaning both injuries and just like general health yeah, i think both okay. um so you work with both so injuries you're talking more sort of neurological events like a stroke or mm-hmm. heart attack or you know musculoskeletal type injury where maybe they've damaged the rotator cuff muscles mm-hmm. and that can be you know quite destructive if not treated well um uh, long-term conditions we're talking more sort of uh conditions, autoimmune type conditions like osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, so maybe genetic type uh, related conditions that you know, you've had no control over, but you have this condition and you have to manage it somehow. And Do you look at arthritis and stuff like that, it's genetic, do you feel like it's just a process of gut biome over a period of time that normally causes a lot of this inflammation and when you don't fix it, it then comes out over time or do you think it's just like straight up oh my mum had it it's, it's a lot more complicated than both of those things so it's both um but more than both of those it's a whole variety of factors i'm actually writing a paper with uh, one of my friends he's an orthopedic surgeon and we're both interested in osteoarthritis he does a lot of surgeries a lot of knee surgeries um, one thing that people don't know is that if you have knee surgery it increases the likelihood of you getting osteoarthritis to a much greater extent than if you did not have surgery. And if people were told that, maybe they would think twice about having that surgery, surgery, especially now that there's a lot more literature and research on the rehab front that suggests Mm -hmm. that actually you can heal, um, you know, from a knee surgery like ACL or meniscus type injury. Not a complete tear, but like a... But even a complete, potentially a significant tear can still be treated and healed with extensive rehab. But you have to go well, through that rehab, can... yes. So, interesting, right? Because yeah. you always think, no, you surgery. You have to attach it, right? But I mean, maybe if you're a professional athlete, you want to have it quicker, so they might go down the surgery route for that reason. But how many of us are professional athletes? Yeah. And, you know, yes, it takes longer, but is it healthier? I'm a bit biased, but Mm. uh, it needs to be taken on a case-by-case basis because everybody's different. They have different lives, different circumstances, so you Mm. need to weigh up the pros and cons for you. But how many people are told about the risks of getting osteoarthritis after undergoing knee surgery? Yeah. Not very many. Why is the case? Obviously, it's a really technical thing. Again, again yeah, it's like very technical. So I'm not going to go... So again, so the paper we're writing is uh, looking into the uh, impact of epigenetics which is not just so we've got genetic genes that you know we inherit 
that we can't change, but we have a set of genes that are influenced by a whole variety of factors such as the environment. Mm -hmm. So these are the epigenetic factors, the genes that we can potentially switch on and off depending on how we're living our life and how we are using or abusing our body. Um, so we're looking at those factors and how that affects the disease journey of osteoarthritis, okay. so how it affects the pathophysiology of osteoarthritis. And we've identified so far that it's significantly influenced by epigenetic factors. Wow. And we know very well, we're starting to learn a lot more about it, but how much of that is actually being translated in daily clinical practice? At the moment, it stays very much in the research realm. But it's our duty of care as a clinician to then take that information and give it to our patients and say, by the way, we have now learned that these are the risks, the added risks that you know come with having surgical interventions for this type of condition. So maybe we should consider you spending an extended period of rehab to try, to try and treat it more conservatively because that's a healthier way. Um, but then that also means that we need to put more of an investment and uh, value and emphasis on, on the, the rehab yeah. side. Because it's going to take more time, right? Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's less their cost. And again, it's this, this whole culture, this fix-it culture, or you know, instant gratification, which is very much uh, the leader in our sort of uh, realm in society at the moment. The quickest, the quickest, the thing I actually, on a specific, on keeping on that topic, I actually watched something the other day, which was um, uh, about like, what if you want to create an app, all you just need to do is fit, to make it actually successful, you just need to fix someone's problem to make like, the thing quicker. Like yeah. how Uber happened, was just like, how to make taxis quicker? This is success, it's definitely gonna be successful because yeah. it's quicker than the last one. And it's the same as like everything now, it's just like, if it's not quick, it's yeah. just not gonna work for people. And I'm sure you know that in the human aspect, and now you're talking to people, maybe you don't have an exact study to reference in terms of how much more people are impatient, but I can definitely see that people, I can't compare it to 200 years ago or 100 years ago because I wasn't there, but I can clearly see that people are very impatient, and I'm surely, surely weren't like that before, like surely people would have been like, okay, I need to fix this, or... We didn't have that choice, it wasn't, we weren't living in an well, age of new technology, so that wasn't even an option, but... So it's interesting that you brought this up because I think it's got a much wider, a much more global impact on absolutely everything. So I'm sure you watched the uh, Attenborough's uh, video on global climate change. I've seen it before, it's on yeah. right? Yeah, it's wonderful. And, you know, he talks about the importance of biodiversity mm -hmm. and how it's deteriorating and the impact, the, you know, the, the impact on the entire world as a result of uh, this deterioration. Um, and it comes down to everything. So. It, capitalization you know looking you know looking at these big large companies such as Amazon and you know Google and so forth and how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis you know it's a case of needing everything right here right now increasing massively the carbon footprint you know there's less oxygen in the world climate change is massively you know increasing we have you know, less rich, um, you know, diversity in terms of flora and fauna in the world. This is going to impact on us as human beings and our ability to be healthier and more successful in terms of the longevity of our lives. So it all comes around full circle. Everything impacts on everything. There is a full interaction with how we interact with our environment and with the world and how that then has an impact on our health. So even just things, I'm sure you've heard of grounding theory, where um, just taking your shoes off 
and you know feeling the actual soil and the earth and the ground and and how that's important again to reduce I mean, information you know everything about information i, love it. I think is <laughs> super interesting topic i that's do and and you see now you kind of see these connections how everything is connected how many people do that not very many people and it's so important mm. to do that i love barefoot training for that reason so, just to feel the ground i take my shoes off yeah me lift. too deadlifting is the why best why wearing no shoes no socks i'm like i actually prefer it, it actually sits, more proprioception yeah, not and always but i do it on occasion I do it as much as possible. Yeah. In fact, I get told off sometimes by gym owners mm. and they're like, sorry, we have a, a policy where you have to wear trainers. I'm like, well, that's a stupid policy. It's you need to change policy. that. This is a fitness place. You're doing and they're wrong. worried about, you know, negligence and being sued in case a weight drops on your foot. If a weight drops on your foot, the bloody shoes problem. don't really make a difference anyway. <laughs> it's a bit of lace. <laughs> your foot's going to bash into pieces anyway. So, and I wanted to get this in there, but the foot-brain axis, I'm all about that at the moment. That's so, good. so, so important. So the we our feet are incredibly important in terms of gaining as much sensory information as possible. And we get that through proprioception so proprioception is our ability to understand and relate to where we are in relation to space and so we have a lot of proprioceptive information coming from our feet if you block that with ill-fitting shoes or thick shoes or socks or you never take your shoes off that reduces massively and it impacts on your brain function reduces what exactly you said what? your proprioception proprioception okay. yes yeah, my favorite foot word in the world so proprioception <laughs> is based around just they could be getting as simplistic as in like balance and accuracy yeah um and just your sense of feeling and mm. where you are so where so you can so a great example is if you close your eyes you stand up mm. close your eyes and spin 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 mm. and as soon as you open your eyes it's that sense of right where am i how far away am i am i safe am i stable yeah so an example of that is i work with a lot of children with neurodevelopmental conditions and uh they have a lot of sensory challenges and a huge sensory challenge for children with these types of conditions is lack of proprioception. They have no idea how far they are to the wall, to the sofa. Um, they may not be getting enough information. So they, they, you'll see those children in the playground where they're bashing themselves on purpose against really heavy objects or people just to get a sense of feeling. Yeah. So it's a really, really important part of our sensory world, and a huge uh, part, uh, a huge chunk in you know our nervous system to understand and actually create a picture of us, and it's part of, a big part of our health. So it can easily be resolved or you know addressed by having good foot health. Mm. And loads of people these days, I see it in the clinic all the time, is they they have very poor foot health, and they. They don't really understand that uh, or they're not very well educated because why would you be unless you're a therapist so again mm. i think as therapists it's an important part of education so even when people come in to see me with hand issues I'll, i will say how are your feet yeah. <laughs> well, looking at me puzzled ask wondering why i'm asking them about mm. their feet but you know from a sensory point of view it's really important yeah, yeah. it's uh, like if you go on the basis of what you just said like that person that you see what's going on with your feet, they just don't get it. Like they don't get that, that they think that it's all, and I'll tell you from experience, they think it's all like, oh, this is nonsense. Like, okay, I get what you're saying to me, but really can you just fix my wrist? Yeah, can you just come in, come in, can you just deal with what I've come yeah. in for? Yeah, as opposed to doing that when you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, okay, like, <laughs> it's just not gonna work like that, it's just not how this works. Um, it's like when I told you, I think I spoke to you last time, it was like my mum when she liked reflexology and I was, when I was younger and I was just like, oh, what is this nonsense? <laughs> when, I, when I'm older, I'm like, Jesus, man, like. 
like that was that was 20 years ago when my mum was like so switched on and that's just amazing that's very impressive. so impressive <laughs> like she didn't she maybe not get the bcg injection okay. and everything she was just like that's nonsense don't wear that right yeah i don't like it and i really respect that do you know what i mean she she was open-minded to all those things and with the, in terms of the going back to the feet the feet like when she used to get it all done she used to be like no no your feet tell you everything yeah and I was just always just like switched off That's from really it. That's really good. I need to meet your mother. Yeah, she's really into it. She's really into it. Like, That's she, good. She really likes yeah. it. So as I said, this is a great example yeah. of why when people are switched off it, I'm an example too, because I thought it was like, oh, no, no, that's nonsense. Now I'm older. I'm like, Jesus, it's so important. The shoes off thing is yeah. just like, it's just like, if you, it just makes sense, right? If you just look back and like think about humans when they first arrived or however, they have, they're going to be wearing bloody slippers I think come shoes. in and like, you know, Christian Louboutins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not born in the world. <laughs> there's a good there's a good picture of like what a foot should look like. Yeah. So you've seen it, which is yeah. really wide. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually part of the foot rehab that I, I do and uh, that's recommended by a lot of podiatrists is uh, a lot of people have don't have very much movement in between their toes and they're very tight and stiff. Mm. I've got just the thing for you. Oh, great. <laughs> There's one one uh, wonderful podiatrist called Dr. Emily. I don't know what her second name is, and she's got this whole foot rehab thing that she tries to promote, and I and I try to promote that to my patients. So, um, and it's a combination of uh, sort of three moves. So she's developed what we call a neuro ball. Mm-hmm. It's like a spiky ball, but it's quite unique. Um, and you roll your foot on it for okay. a good five ten minutes every single day. So you get that strong neuro feedback, that mm-hmm. proprioception. And then you do a series of mobility uh, exercises where you're you know, trying to engage the talus of your foot, which is the top of your foot, because that's often a very neglected area. So you're trying to get as much mobility in all the different parts, your toes, your talus, you know, your ankle, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, you do that for about five minutes, and then you put what she calls a splay on which is like a toe separator. So a bit like in the beauticians when you have a pedicure. I know what you mean. They put those things, but a little bit more of a, te- you know, more of a, a rehab technical yeah, yeah, type, yeah, yeah. but effectively the same thing. And that's just to try and create a little bit more dexterity between your toes. Dexterity? Um, yeah. So why did the moon was? I've heard that word before. <laughs> Not going to lie. I guess just movement. So yeah. for example, my fingers are quite dexterous right now. Okay. Yeah. So it's just true. I could actually, prob- we're not going to test this, but yeah. I could pick up a pencil with my toes. That's, cool. <laughs> that's really cool. No, my husband that. is really freaked out, yeah. but I've always told him that's really good. You should be impressed. Yeah. That's really healthy. It he is. can't do the I same. Bet, so. I bet it is. Yeah. So that sort of thing. And, and that just helps to improve your general health of your feet. And again, it's a direct connection to your brain. So whenever something's a direct connection to your brain, you need to take it quite seriously. When did you, when did you first start realizing that and i'm sure you practice a lot of like no having no shoes on is that obviously you've been doing this job for it's how interesting long, actually because i was so actually so i'm indian so you know i come from i have a strong indian culture and you know in indian culture you always take your shoes off at the door mm. it's, you know and i get thinking muslim culture as well you do that it's a sign of respect and so i've always been used to not wearing my shoes ever in the house and i like the feeling that it gave me and i've always hated wearing shoes and socks it's just really uncomfortable so it's kind of uh, something innate within me anyway and then as i uh, became a therapist and went into neuro rehab uh, you, you know, that's very much part and parcel of our training, you know, right, mm-hmm. what's going on with the feet, where are they, what are they doing, 
is there that strong connection there? Yeah. And that's one of the first things that we try to teach when we're working with people. Wow. Yeah. So Go straight into just the feet as it is a bit. Yeah, I, I really, I'm really interested in that because like my when I take my feet and I've had them in shoes and I just like take your feet out and they're just like oh my god that feels so you good. Just like, and then I just like I'm always such a deep thinker. I'm like this doesn't make sense. Mm. Wearing these shoes does not make sense. Like it just like and like I walk. This is you won't think it's weird, but I walk in the back there. We live in Dubai Hills, right? So it's like so fresh here. Yeah. Like the ground's like blooming an indoor of a mall, right? So I'm just <laughs> taking my shoes off. I walk with bare feet along no, the thing. It's not I'm, like Glasgow. You could come across a needle or something. I run I mean? barefoot on the beach. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Did you forget your trainers?" Yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> but that's interesting because people sometimes yeah. do that with clients. Um, they actually normally find that the cramp or something ankle just instability or yeah. they'll get an ankle sprain yeah I've got, really good, I've got a question and this is a good another specific question obviously there's going to be a broad spectrum of answers to this but if someone's got flat feet how do they help them so you need to try and develop more of an arch within that foot you can actually do that you can develop the arch so you can use orth uh, ankle foot orthoses so it's like a type of splint for your ankle where mm. you can try to develop that again it depends um, on each individual and where they are mm. and what level of severity um, other people can put um, things in the shoe to create that arch as well mm. and then alongside that you would provide rehab uh, based exercises to try and encourage as mm. much uh, you know foot mobility as so possible. A few things you need yeah. to add on there, and over how long a period of time would you normally give Again, them a long, long time? It really does depend on that person and how much they put in, but also how flat-footed they are. Yeah. But then, I, interestingly, and I've worked with a lot of flat-footed people. Mm. Like initially in rehab and therapy, we think, oh, it's a really bad thing. It's really dangerous. I know a lot of flat-footed people that are really healthy and very functional. And is it, and is it, they adapt. Yeah. Is it not know? normal to have flat feet? I just don't. Is, is it, is I it, think it, it's quite normal. I, no, when I say normal, I don't mean in just numbers. I just mean like, I do human, should should humans have flat feet? Yes, humans do. But there's very, I mean, generally we have an arch, you know, but there are a proportion of people that don't have much of an arch or have no arch at all for, and maybe they have a more complicated a medical reason why that may be. Can we bear or maybe it? they don't. Well, you know, you get a lot of congenital disorders when you're born, which could attribute towards flat footedness or mm. something more significant. Um, so it just depends on the individual. But I mean, we're all born and made and created slightly differently from each other. So no one's, you know, identical to the other person. You have to know where your strengths and challenges lie and work with what you've got and make the most of it. Yeah. So. so would you say that um, even though, you say makes most of it, right? But like, would you say that there's any benefits to having a, a flat foot? Like, no. That's my point, right? I'm just I don't like, think there's any benefits, like, but benefits I mean, you can live arch, with right? it. Yeah, absolutely. It's but, easier. You're yeah. less uh, prone to injury. Yeah. Um, so that's the main thing. So it's more of a disadvantage, but I mean, before it was considered something really bad but i think now people recognize you know with within the whole movement and rehab type setting we understand that we're it's not about correcting and fixing it's mm -hmm. about identifying addressing as much as you can and working with it and adapting it doesn't yeah. have to be perfect we don't have to be exactly the same we don't all move in the exact same way mm -hmm. that's not we're not trying to prescribe identical movement it's mm -hmm. about varied movement and working with each individual and what their again strengths and challenges are mm -hmm. and just making sure they're as healthy as they can be within what they have okay. so yeah. so you 
can make it best depending on the person. Basically. But if somebody really does have, you know, if somebody's at high risk of injury as a result of it, then you want to address that. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's great. Okay, next one. Next one. Uh, Where are we at? Common, uh, number three, so we'll be common symptoms people get when they have an issue. So, like, maybe say a couple examples, maybe, so then it could be like... I think we kind of already discussed that, but maybe yeah. not so directly. So yeah. I think it was related to the inflammation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and just generally, when people... One thing I did want to talk about is when people have a long-term condition or, you know, um, have a long-term issue that needs addressing... We talk a lot about the medical or the physical side of things, but we never talk about how that condition changes them mm -hmm. or impacts on it impacts them as a human being. Like, for example, when I work uh, with patients with chronic persistent pain, we look at it's multifaceted. We don't just look at the physical aspects. We look at the psychological and the emotional aspects. How does that pain? change that person's relationships mm -hmm. their social romantic relationships because often pain can really get in the way of how you interact with people for example if you're in agony and your friends are calling you to go out for the night that's the last thing on your mind yeah. you don't want to do that you just want to stay at home in bed or just be still and not move so you're not in pain and if you do that and, and this is long-term pain mm -hmm. you do that every week they're going to stop calling yeah. Or let's say, you know, you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you're married and you're cranky all the time because all the time you're in pain. Yeah. And so your partner may be patient for a period of time, but they maybe won't interact as much with you or may not want to, you know, be around you, be around you in case they trigger you. And so that changes quite significantly over a period of time. And what happens is you're isolated, you become isolated. You don't have, as, we, as humans, we are social beings, first and foremost. We need to be with other people to be able to continue to live yeah. and to be healthy. And so if you're already in pain and you're not getting much social contact, or perhaps the social contact that you have is poor it's poor quality contact it's you know it's just basic transactional you know there's nothing deep and meaningful or enriching in that interaction then that's effectively the same as not having very good interaction or that's or going yeah and that will again exacerbate your condition even further so I wanted to just talk about how people come in with long-term conditions and it's all about the physical aspects but not it's important not to forget about the emotional and the psychological impact that that condition has on you and, and when I work with people we address all of these issues and we try to highlight and increase their awareness of these and encourage them again to address these areas in their life that need some attention and again you know I can have people well that will just come in and say well I've got low back pain and that's all I want you to do. I don't want you to talk about my relationships. I don't want you to ask me questions about how my life is. I just want you to fix it. And, well, I can't because yeah. I don't fix things. I support right? people. I facilitate them. I guide them. And uh, that's what my role is. Mm -hmm. and, and it's that person's job mm -hmm. to address their pain. It's mm -hmm. about taking on self-management mm -hmm. it's about self-managing their condition mm -hmm. no one can do that job for them mm -hmm. there's no such thing as fixing a long-term condition mm -hmm. 
It's about how well, that's okay. It's about how well can you live with it? How can you manage this condition mm -hmm. so that it has as least of an impact on your life as possible mm -hmm. and you can continue to live a successful, healthy, enriching life in all aspects, physically, emotionally, psychologically, mm -hmm. in every component. And that's the, that's the key yeah. to, to life yeah. in general, but also like these conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis they can wreak havoc on one's life and happiness and satisfaction. And, you know, what's important to recognize are all of these other areas that it impacts on that you may not recognize. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to conditions and pain and health, it's so much more than just the physical components. Yeah. It's yeah, everything. And I guess, yeah, it's just, as I said, it's, and I do, I'm a believer in that as well. So that's why I was, and obviously I get mm -hmm. interested in what you start to say because it does like and we discussed this last day you store stress in the hip kind of thing and, and i think that a lot of people do hold so much emotion and that they just yeah. even just down to something simplistic that like they stay tense just like from as soon as they're out of bed they're just like yeah. braced so tense and it's like it's really important like to, to get over that mm -hmm. and like really fix that kind of side and uh, you might meet the most open person or in the world like me or like a bit open and like other people but sometimes you just like don't say things you should say and then you think oh maybe it's not normal to communicate this or speak about this because people are going to think I'm a freak or like yeah. you know what I mean like I think there's a lot of those things where I agree. people don't really let in on it let out what's actually going on in their brain you know yeah another so. thing I think is really pertinent and you know I'm an occupational therapist, so that's quite different to a physiotherapist. And the reason why it's different, the main thing that cha that differs is that with occupational therapists, we have a huge focus on what is meaningful and purposeful in one's life. And initially people think, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, why is that important? How is that related to health? Why is that even, you know, part of the health process? And that's, for me, that's everything in life, regardless of who you are and what you do. Yeah. Again, as human beings, the first thing you think about is what is my purpose? Why am I here? Yeah. What do I want to achieve in my life? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to conditions and health, the first thing you should think about and the first thing you will probably recognize is how is this going to take me away from what makes me happy and what I want to do in my life? Yeah. So that and how can I fix this or address this so that I can go back to doing what's important mm -hmm. to me? So as occupational therapists, that's our main mm -hmm. focus. And we have a whole range of different ways that we do that. Mm -hmm. And we can do that through movement. We can do that through manual therapy. Mm -hmm. We do it through psychological cognitive-based interventions. We can do it you know, th through numerous different types of interventions. So um, I think that the whole concept of recognizing or understanding and identifying what is your purpose in life yeah. and how is your health or specific conditions related to your health impacting or taking away from what that deep sense of purpose is within you. And interestingly, I think a lot of people these days don't have that deep sense of purpose. No. I think they just go along, you know, just go round and round in circles and, you know, and you get a job and you know, you have relationships, but how good are they? How great is it? Is this what you want to be doing with your life? Is this a job that, is this what you were meant to be doing? Is this, I believe that everybody's born with a talent. 
you know, and it may take some time to know what that talent is and to recognize. I mean, for example, I don't sing, I don't dance, I do, but very badly, Mm. certainly not (laughs) professional. And I'm not a professional athlete. So I could think, well, I don't have a talent, but actually I do. And it took me a while to recognize that actually my talent is helping people and healing. And I, I have a deep sense of responsibility and I get so much, uh, passion and pleasure from supporting and helping people. And that's my deep sense of purpose in life. And, and I think everybody needs to ask themselves that question. What, how do you want to be and, and what do you think you're best at? And are you doing what you're best at? Because then you get those people who recognize their talent but are not true to themselves and are going and doing uh, maybe have a job in accountancy but actually their talent and their passion is in something entirely different why are they wasting their time doing that Uh, and I think that's really important because again if that's incongruent and if that you know is not aligned and you're living a life a very different life to your true purpose that's going to create ill health as yeah. well. So yeah. no, that's I, well, important. Well, as I said, like, I, I like the way you're, you're thinking, like, as I said, like, what kind of people, when people come to you, what kind of, um, what, where do you go with, like... <laughs> how do I start? <laughs> yeah, well, how do you, yeah. like, so, 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 what do you, like, some of you ask similar questions, say, like, what's going on? Like, what are you trying to get out of them exactly to help? And how deep do you go in? Like, do you yeah. deep, uh, deep, dive deep into what they're doing or do you just no. go on the top level or what? Yeah, so it's really, you have to be very careful. Um, you have to scope out that person first. So first session will be very light. I'll keep it, I don't do much talking. I let them talk mm-hmm. to try and get as much information from them as possible. Some people love to chat away and that makes it easier for me. Yeah. Some people don't like to talk at all and they just come in with just fix my arm type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and with those types of individuals, I'll just ask some very specific concerted questions, but try to leave it open-ended to see what they say. So I try to scope out that individual where they're at in their life at that moment in time. And I try to take time, I do take my time to connect the dots and see what are this person's immediate short-term issues, but what are the long-term issues and you know what is that relationship and how is it impacting mm-hmm. on them? For example, um, I have a case, a uh, gentleman who's very young in his 20s and he, has uh, quite a severe diagnosis of uh, inflammatory arthritis. Um, he's a lovely gentleman and uh, I love his attitude towards life. So he's, he's had issues throughout his childhood and his life and he's come to accept it, but also address it and do as much as he can to fight it. So, but he kind of has this bulldozing approach. So he kind of thinks, well, I don't care, I have this diagnosis. I'm just gonna go and live the best life I can. And that's great in the sense that he knows exactly what he wants, he's got a really clear idea of his condition, um, but his approach is progressing that condition much faster than mm-hmm. it should. So is he like drinking too much and partying? Yeah, just it's too much, too excessive and it's creating a really high level of pain. Mm-hmm. So he's in pain every single day wow. at a really high level. And he's incredibly resilient because he withstands that pain. Mm-hmm. So my role with him is to just highlight all the, the good things that he's doing mm-hmm. and how it's how his mindset is really supportive and wonderful in some areas. Yeah. 
and trying to uh, just spotlight the areas that he does need to focus on. Um, and so what we did was we spoke a lot about that and uh, we talked about all the sports he used to play rugby which is probably the worst so for the tournament scale and especially when you have arthritis so uh, and he had it even back then as well and he was yeah. still playing so I never say to people you should stop doing A, B and C yeah. unless it's a life threatening decision mm -hmm. I'll make comments like perhaps you should focus on other sports that you also enjoy yeah. or maybe we can scale it down a bit yeah. but I've been working with him for a good six months now and he came to me one day and said yeah I'm not playing rugby anymore I don't think it's very good for me yeah. and I don't like being in pain every day and I took that as a big win that's so. great that's great how you approached that you took yeah. the kind of longer route and just was like I'm not because I'm actually not great at that like I'm always just I'm, I've got better but I'm not even aware of it which is probably a good start that I'll be like no you should do that and it's not the right way to do it, and I definitely learned that. So what you do is pretty, pretty good. It's so. a learning experience, and I think you have to just take it, again, bear in mind the way you're built and what your mm -hmm. set of issues are and what's best for you. And, and, and uh, with that particular gentleman, again, I took my time to really get to know him. So I like to spend a good two or three sessions building a, a solid relationship with my patient. Mm -hmm. Because you can't delve into somebody's personal life really? when you don't know them, and you need well, to get their care. trust. Sorry. Well, if they don't care, they're just like, I'll tell you, I'm going to care, like, I'll tell you. But that's even better, yeah. because I can really work with them then. And uh, when they're open-minded and they don't have those barriers up, then I can fully support them. Yeah. And, you know, it's that relationship between the therapist and the patient is very important. Mm -hmm. And if you can get them on side and recognize that you're just there to support them and you have no other ulterior motive, who wouldn't want that support? Yeah. So most people are very open to it and very thankful and very appreciative. And they always mm -hmm. come in and they say, I was just expecting you to do a bit of exercises and you know about my whole life That's and you've brilliant. helped me in so many other areas and, and I'm so I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful and appreciative. So you know you're on the right lines when that's the type of feedback that what you kind of, get. What kind of question do you kind of come up with one or two main questions you ask and you look what you're looking for? Um, again, so it depends on what type of condition I have and what issues that person has. I'm just trying to think of some case examples. Um, so yeah, I had one older gen uh, gentleman who had quite extensive neurological issues. What's the sure. condition or not? You can bother, you can bother. Are you freezing? <laughs> I'm getting bored over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he had quite extensive neurological issues which was brought on by some uh, information mm -hmm. again. And uh, Prior to that, he had a really high-powered job. He was in the banking industry. He was the main breadwinner. Life was great, and it knocked if knocked him off his feet. You know, he wasn't able to go back to work again. He he lost that sense of identity. Um, he wasn't the main. He wasn't earning. Didn't have that financial earning power, which for men is very very important. Yeah. You know, it's a big part yeah, of that identity um, and he was depressed yeah. and he came in to me and he said I just want you to work with my hands because they're not moving so well and I've worked a lot on other areas of my body but my hands are really neglected so we spent a few sessions again for, and just you know get to know him what are his likes what are his interests tell me about your daily routine mm -hmm. are you married and and then just slowly I don't say very much because I think it's so important to listen. Mm -hmm. And listening is a really, really powerful skill. And if you listen more, mm -hmm. they will just tell you everything. Yeah. And then when it's almost like a counseling approach, 
when they say it out loud and they talk about it and they're uninterrupted, they come to recognize the issues themselves and they'll say, actually, I'm not very happy because I feel like my relationship has really deteriorated because of my condition and my wife has been my main carer and she's done everything for me and I'm embarrassed and I'm humiliated and it's taken away you know, the romantic part of our relationship and that really upsets me. And so I didn't actually do anything at all. I just let him speak and let him make sense of what's going on in his life and organize his thoughts and, and recognize what do I need to work on. So for me, my skill and my role is to really support that person to be able to manage their, their condition themselves. So we, I will do that through listening. And if they need more support, I will ask specific questions like, how long have you been married? Yeah. And that will just get that ball rolling. Mm. And it was cut, they'll say, oh, I've been married for, you know, how many years? And how did you meet? And, you know, how are things going? Or, you know, I'll ask questions about their job. And uh, what type of job did you do? Is that your passion? And you don't have to ask very much at all. And it's mm. just about helping them to make those connections and increase their awareness. And... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, it's, it's good to know because, like, it's, it's wondering, like, even though you t see, once they tell you all the stuff, do you then give it like op open advice on the stuff that they give you? What would you say? So, uh, with some people, I'll be very specific, and I'll say, "This is really damaging, and I really think that you need to address this as a matter of priority because it's very damaging for you mm. um, and uh, destructive and abusive almost." Um, and uh, they will then give me their feedback and usually by that point they've already identified that yeah. but if I've said it out loud they know it's quite important and you can judge how reactive they are to that to then maybe take it to the next step and talk or and then you'll know your boundaries I'm sure yeah, absolutely. you have to be very self-aware I'm sure when you're doing this very job very much so and you know I, I, I tread carefully because it's important to have that sense sensitivity and diplomacy, yeah. um, and it's a skill that you learn over mm. time. So Definitely. I know I've never had any scenarios where anybody's been upset, um, because I'm always careful, yeah. um, and I never push too much. And they know they're there for as well with an occupational therapist. But to a certain extent, I'm sure you brief them. You say like, I'm going to ask you questions. Yeah, I think they're always surprised by how much, how deep I go, and mm. how much I delve into things. And they always think that because they're coming to a very medical clinic yeah. and I work in the <laughs> orthopedic department which is very biomechanical very very medicalized yeah. so they're not expecting to come in and talk about other aspects of their la mm. life and how this area is impacting on their condition they don't mm. make the connection mm -hmm. and then we talk about it and then they recognize and that's really really helpful yeah and and hopefully they'll then go away and do the work that they need to do on yeah. themselves to then you know address some of those or okay. resolve some of those issues so that's interesting great i'm a very nosy person so working with people and getting to know their lives is wonderful yeah um second. need to get that yeah, I'll just That's fine. Pause it anyway. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, I think we're done. What, the, sorry, what does the. I have one more question. Um, oh, sorry, I need to text this person. You can pause it and wait one second.
Yeah. So, and then so going on to the last question, I think here probably. Uh, I don't want to keep you too much because I know we're going. I don't know how long we're going for. Oh no, we always go on forever. No, it's good. We're going for over an hour now. How? What time is it? It's five forty-five. Okay. Um. So, in terms, where are we here, Common? So, what does um, what does here? Yeah. So, I wanted to ask you about diet. Okay, like I know you've maybe got that kind of going back on the inflammation side of things. With diet, what would you say would be your recommended diet for, you can give examples of people, but then obviously I have a belief on the human diet and what actually people should eat as a human being. Um, my opinion on it being, you know, meat, vegetables, some vegetables, not all vegetables, to be honest, leafy greens and stuff, I think really help muck, muck people up. And then uh, fruit and stuff. What would you say, like, if someone was having like all these kind of issues and inflammations and you know arthritis? Is there anything that you would think that? See, this is such a difficult area, and yeah. I I agree with you when it comes to the human diet. I mm -hmm. think keep no processed food, you know, as least processed food as possible, and just keep it mm -hmm. to good quality meats. Yeah. Again, not all vegetables, like that. Certain things like legumes can be quite hard to digest and things. So just keeping it like leafy. Yeah type uh, vegetables um, and fruit berries yeah um, but it's really hard to help somebody uh, with specific conditions because and again you know I spoke so I I'm not from a professional point of view I'm not the person to come to when it comes to diet and I can't comment on that mm. on a professional capacity because that's not my role but if somebody asks me for informal general advice on diet generally mm -hmm. and what's healthy and what's unhealthy, I'll give them my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll always refer them to a clinical dietitian who is qualified yeah. to actually carry out that aspect and that advice mm -hmm. and support. And I've spoken extensively to our clinical dietitians and I always ask them about this anti-inflammatory diet and they'll always give me the same answer. And they'll say, there's no evidence base for mm -hmm. the anti this supposed anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. diet. Um, and there was one particular clinical dietitian who was really, really strict. She was like, I refuse to comment on anything else. There is no such thing because there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. And I disagree with that mm -hmm. because we know from experience and from lots of people's uh, other, you know, uh, experiences and professional experiences and opinions out there that there is something about food and what level of inflammation or how it impacts on our inflammation yeah. so it is true but we don't I think there's a difference in having no literature or evidence base versus an absence of evidence base yeah. and I think that again the nutrition world is incredibly complicated and it's, it's very very hard to get good solid evidence because mm -hmm. we are all so unique and yeah. we process things so uniquely and there are so many individual differences so from a scientific point of view how do you capture that data yeah. it's really difficult so but that doesn't mean that you know it doesn't mean that there are not certain foods that are more inflammatory than others but again it's about the individual differences mm -hmm. Um, so I do think that there is some really important information there, but it's really, really hard to get that from actual professionals like clinical dietitians because mm -hmm. they can't comment on it unless there is solid evidence mm -hmm. base. So I feel like we're kind of just left in the dark yeah. somewhat. I think long-term long long stuff as well. You have to put years of studying into stuff sometimes. And yeah. 
at the end of the day, like um, someone who's got bad information on something might not actually want to wait that amount of time. Yeah. Um, and there is obviously other people out there that will be like I've followed guy Dr. Paul Saladino. You know who he is. Do yeah. You? Yeah. And I just find it's quite interesting the way he would be talking about like masses of people going through this and even within like a three to six month change. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just like it's just for me. I just again, you pull up again. I can't. I can't debate very well because again, when you debate, you need to reference re- like studies and stuff. But I can certainly follow a pattern of food that I've followed and just yeah. been like, and I've done this, I've been really thoughtful of my health for a long, long time. And when I changed this one, this thing, I was like, I really noticed the difference. Like I could clearly see that this is working. Small so difference, yeah. again, you could say that I can't, I can't preach to people and I can't say to other people, oh, you need to do this because again, there's no evidence and you shouldn't mm. unless there's evidence. But from my side of it, just speaking of my journey, like found I definitely found that that was the case. And I think that's important. And there are certain, like for example, with the rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, there are specific autoimmune protocols and, and dietary protocols that we do recommend and follow. Um, so the autoimmune diet is actually really successful and very, very helpful. And, and again, it cuts, it does cut out a lot of dairy-type products because they are quite inflammatory in nature. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to find out what works for you and yeah. what doesn't. And I think that's what's hard. And especially for a regular person that doesn't take a, an interest in you know fitness or keeping healthy and they have this condition and they're busy and they're stressed, yeah. you don't, do sometimes want to be able to give somebody something very like a recipe to follow do mm-hmm. a b and c and you'll be better but unfortunately it i suppose you like could that. give them as a trial <laughs> to try it <laughs> well no the thing is if it if it makes them worse then you're negligent that's so true that's true professional capacity, you can point you them can't. in directions you could you, to get obviously yourself and up what you could I, say, yeah try that try that try that but follow those guys and see what they so say i do that and what i do is i'll say and yourself. i use social media and i'll say this person has a really good blog post and she is, uh, she's actually this is one lady who's an occupational therapist and she also uh, suffers from rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. So she's done this whole blog on Instagram. She's brilliant. Mm. And I just get people to follow her. And there's another guy in England I follow, the uh, medicinal chef. Yeah. So he's a medical doctor who did went through to medical school. He's a fully fledged doctor now. And he just doesn't understand why we don't focus more on nutrition mm. when that is such a big part of our health. Yeah. So he then got himself a nutritional degree and he sort of combined his medical degree mm-hmm. with his nutritional um, you know, really cool. knowledge and he does a blog so on the medicinal chef. Is, I think it's Dr. Rupi. I'm not gonna be able to He's great, um, he's quite popular. Um, and he comes up with, he actually does cooking sessions and he'll show you how to cook. how do you spell that? <laughs> M-E-D. Yeah. I-C-I-N-A-L. Chef. Give me your okay. phone. <laughs> I found them, I found them. Okay, yeah. Dale. Medicinal chef. Dale Pinnock. Oh no, that's a different person. The, med- this, the medicinal chef? There's somebody else I was thinking of. On this? No, I was... Maybe it is him. There's him, but there's another guy that I was thinking of. Maybe I need to find my phone. There's another thing. So it's a, it's a guy called Dr. Rupi, and a similar concept, so he's a medical doctor, and he actually does like cooking sessions and he'll give you recipes and uh, everything that you just said. So yeah. he's a sim- similar type of diet, so good meat, veg- he's really, I think he might even, he, he focuses more on the plant-based side of things. Okay. He doesn't say that, oh no, you should only just be plant-based, but mm. he has got a lot of plant-based recipes, okay. which, so yeah. And you like those? 
Um, I need a bit of meat, I find. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> no, it's fair enough, like I said. I'm not like I'm not a vegan. I'm not completely plant based. I yeah. think that you have a bit of you know, the plant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I'm a little bit on the more of the meat side. Yeah. Like, things, but again, I think as well, if you don't suffer from a lot of issues, like you have a little bit, you're yeah. quite fortunate to be able to to have that a bit more balance. Like it's just a shame for some people who do have like a little bit more of a have to have a strict diet, like. I always just say, right, if, you, if that's the case, then you can't have it also everything. Maybe sometimes you do need to be a bit more focused on food and you can't be, you know. The reason a lot of people can't stick to one thing is because of, like, the modern day society is just so much like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I don't care, I can so do whatever bored, I want. Yeah. And it's really hard. Like, I have a client who I know she's got so much information and then I'm like, if you follow this, try it at least. Like, okay, I don't find, I, I feel like I can, I just tell people, right, try yeah. it at least. And just to try even eat meat and just um, stop dairy, stop gluten. Do it for three months. But three months, man, you can't do it. Can't even do it for a week. No, so, it's just like impossible. But this is what I learned when I was younger and as a therapist, I was so passionate and I would say, this is what I've learned and you must do this. And I'd get upset and frustrated when they wouldn't follow it. Yeah. So what I identified I can, quite I quickly, yeah. <laughs> so I learned from the older person. Yeah, so everybody has what we call a readiness for change. Mm -hmm you need to scope out where they're at in terms of change and open-mindedness. And you have to wait. And you know the person that we're talking, you know, that person that you're talking about that just isn't ready and, mm -hmm. you know, quite narrow-minded and they'll they'll really, and, and I'm very open to being questioned and challenged. I love mm -hmm. it, in fact. But there's a difference between challenge, being challenged, and somebody just not taking on board what you're saying or where you're coming from because it's so different to what they're used yeah. to. That person is not ready for change. Yeah. They perhaps need to just go through a little bit more life experience or unfortunately, I hate to say this, but a few more adverse experiences yeah. for them to come back to you and say, you're right, this has not worked out for me and I'm in terrible pain and, and I'm, things are not going well for me in life tell me and I will do anything. I just don't like people getting to that point. I know, but there's but no right. way. There's no way. There's no yeah. way. I always think, like, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson, and I always think, yeah, I don't even think Jordan Peterson could fix these people sometimes. <laughs> no. you know, like, he's the best clinical psychologist out there, and I'm sure he could yeah. even sometimes change the mindset. But I've, again, I've moved away from the whole fixing thing. You can't fix people. You can't. Mm. All you can do is support and facilitate and, and help them. They have to fix I themselves. I think you're right though, like they, they have to get to a point where it's just like no return. They have no choice. You're just like, you have to follow now. Yeah. I told you you shouldn't have got here, but yeah. I'm still here to support you. And that's why all my patients, they're all those people. And I don't take on patients that aren't at that point. And I'll know the difference between the two. And all of my patients will say to me, I've seen everyone else and it didn't work. That's why I'm here to yeah. see you as a yeah. last resort, hoping that something will stick mm -hmm. and something will help. And that's why they're always ready for change because yeah. they've already tried everything and it hasn't worked. And you know, they try to ignore it and it's gotten even worse. Mm -hmm. So at that point now where, you know, they sort of uh, submitted themselves almost. Yeah. And so that's why it's easier to work with them when mm. they're at that point. And it is a shame, yeah. but you, you know, each their own. That person has got to be ready for change. If you, you are wasting your breath, mm. and I don't even bother anymore, because it just then impacts on you negatively. And I believe that when you work with people within our industry, you have to be so careful about safeguarding yourself as well, 
because you can become very emotionally drained and burnt out and then you can't help as many people <laughs> and then it's not good for your your health either to yeah. like, and, I, and I, it's funny you say that like, i really agree with that like i remember when i was first doing this training business in my training and i used to like just get everything so much emotion mm. and it would never work and i was like this is impossible this is amazing just and then i realized that you know you have to have a bit more structure when you're speaking to the people you just have to give the best advice you also need to up the quality of your, your product like as yeah. well so there's a lot of things you can do around it and then as you said they have to be willing to change, you have to be coachable. Yeah, yeah, and you so. need to determine that. So before I start any kind of extensive or aggressive type rehab, I always just, I interview them and see, are they willing to do this? If they're not, we're not even going to start it because mm -hmm. you're setting them up for failure. Mm -hmm. And I will tell them that and I'll be honest and it can be brutal. Mm -hmm. um, and that will either go well or it won't go well mm. and if it won't go well then i'll say okay if you're going to do this this mm. is what you need to sign up for and make mm. that verbal agreement mm. so that you're not having to push them and that they have to bring their a game yeah. every single time and then that's how it works that's so, yeah it's interesting the way you approach it and I, it's funny because as i said i always like relate to you in that way and i'm like okay that's great and it, but you do it in a structured manner yeah. so it's really like structured and so then you have like step by step and you have it yeah. in a way that you're, you're calm you you can keep but then you also have to feed it right you have to feed the the sorry not feed it but understand the client yeah. each client instead so of as opposed to just like a one thing fits all and it just doesn't yeah. work and then get emotionally involved with it and drains you yeah so. and i've learned i'm old so mm. you know experience mm. <laughs> do mm. it as much as possible yeah. learn from your mistakes and refine it yeah. and then yeah you kind of get to that point where You've got that right balance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But is there anything else you want to run through particularly? Oh, I don't have all night, I'm afraid. Yeah. But I'll <laughs> we'll do a part three. Part three is <laughs> fine with me. I really enjoy it. That's it. Been an hour Great. and fifteen minutes. We've been Amazing. Going on, it so quickly, yeah. yeah. Gosh, goodness me. So yeah, that's a good. Thanks Thank very much. You. We enjoyed. Thank you for having me. No, no it's fun.